Welcome back to the third time trying to record this episode. (laughs) (laughs) We got 50 minutes in last time without hitting the record button. So we're going to jump right into the reading. Hey, you guys aren't getting anything this time but the reading, so... (laughs) Prez is going to fuck off halfway through, and I'm going to finish it off monologuing. So this is... (laughs) This is a weird one. You're in for a weird treat. Send all your hate mail to somewhere else. I'm sorry. Send it to David. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we had a, we did a whole show trial at the beginning of the episode that you guys missed. Yeah, d- because David. we forgot to hit record. That. Uh. <laughs> Oh, wow. There's like so many bits that have been lost. There's so many good jokes. And now we have to good is David's a, prosecution next time. Right. <laughs> good <laughs> is a very debatable term, though. <laughs> well, you know. Anyway. So let's start reading. Chapter 3, Men or Machines. The brief discussion was held at the last council meeting between our comrades and some representatives of the majority on the subject of vocational education programs deserves some comment, however brief and succinct. Comrade Zini's objections, parentheses, quote, there is still a conflict between the humanistic and vocational camps over the issue of popular education, we must endeavor to reconcile these currents without forgetting that a worker is above all a man who should not be denied the possibility of exploring the widest realms of the spirit by being enslaved from his earliest youth to the machine, end quote, end parentheses, and counselors Sincero's attacks against philosophy Parentheses, philosophy finds people opposed to it, especially when it states truths that strike at vested interests. And parentheses, are not just allowed, are not just isolated polemical episodes. So, uh, Camarazzini's observations and the opposing counselor Sincero's attacks against philosophies. Philosophy are not just isolated polemical episodes. They are necessary clashes between people representing fundamentally opposed interests. Point one. Our party has still not settled on a concrete educational program that is in any way different from traditional ones. Until now, we have not we until now we have been content to support the general principle of the need for culture, whether it be at an elementary or secondary technical or higher or higher level. And we have campaigned in favor of this principle and propagated it with vigor and energy. We can state that the reduction in illiteracy in Italy is due not so much to the law on compulsory education as to the intellectual awakening, the awareness of certain spiritual needs that socialist propaganda has succeeded in arousing amongst the ranks of the proletarian Italy. But we have gone no further than that. Education in Italy is still a rigidly bourgeois affair, 
in the worst sense of the word. Middle and high schools, which are state-run and hence financed from state revenues, i.e. direct taxes paid by the proletariat, can only be attended by the children of the bourgeoisie, who alone enjoy the economic independence needed for uninterrupted study. A proletarian, no matter how intelligent, no matter how fit to become a man of culture, is forced either to squander his qualities on some other activity, so working, or else to become a rebel and autodidact, i.e., parentheses, apart from some notable exceptions, and parentheses, a, media, a mediocrity, a man who cannot give all he could get, all he could have given had he been completed and strengthened by the discipline of school. Culture is a privilege. Education is a privilege. And we do not want it to be so. All young people could be equal before culture. The state should not be financing out of everyone's, everybody's money the education, even, if, even of mediocre and gormless children of wealthy parents, while it excludes the able and intelligent children of proletarians. Middle and high school should, only be, should be only for those who can demonstrate that they are worthy of it, and if it is in the public interest that such forms of education should exist, preferably supported and regulated by the state, then it is also in the public interest that they should be open to all intelligent children, regardless of their economic potential. Collective sacrifices, collective sacrifice is justified only when it benefits those who are most deserving. Therefore, this collective sacrifice should serve especially to give the most deserving children that economic independence they need if they are to devote to devote their time to serious study. Point two. Prole- the proletariat, which is excluded from the middle and high schools as a result of the preset social conditions, contains conditions which ensure that the division of labor between men is unnatural, parentheses, not being based on different capability, capacities, and so retards and is inimical to production, has to fall back on the parallel education system, the, the technical and vocational colleges. As a result As a result of the anti-democratic restrictions imposed by the state budget, the technical colleges, which were set up along democratic lines by the Kasadi ministry, have undergone a transformation that that has largely destroyed their nature. In most cases, they have become mere superfetation, oh God, in most cases, they have become mere superfetations of the classical schools and an innocent outlet for the petty bourgeois mania for finding a secure job. They cont- the continually rising school entrance fees and the particular prospects they open up in 
practical life have turned these schools into a privilege. Anyway, the overwhelming majority of the proletariat is automatically excluded. Ex, uh, anyway, the overwhelming majority of the proletariat is automatically excluded from them on account of uncertain and precarious life which the wage earner is forced to lead. The sort of life which is certainly not the most propitious or fruitfully most propitious for fruitfully following the course of study. Point three, what the proletariat needs is an educational system that is open to all, a system which the child is allowed to develop and mature and acquire those general features that serve to develop character. In a word, a humanist a humanistic school as conceived by the ancients and more recently by the men of the Renaissance, a school which does not mortgage the child's future, a school that does not force the child's will, his intelligence, and growing awareness to run along tracks to a predetermined station, a school of freedom and free initiative, not a school of slavery and mechanical precision. The children of proletarians, too, should have all possibilities open to them. They should be able to develop their own individuality in the optimal way and hence in the most productive way for both, for, for both themselves and society. Technical schools should not be allowed to become incubators of little monsters, aridly trained for a job with no general ideas, no general culture, no intellectual stimulation, but only an infallible eye and a firm hand. Technical education, too, helps a child to blossom into an adult, so long as, edu- as it is educative, educative ugh, and not simply informative, simply passing on manual techniques. Counselor Sincero, who is an industrialist, is, too, is being too meanly bourgeois when he protests against philosophy. Of course, meanly bourgeois industrialists might prefer to have workers who were more machines than men. But sacrifices which everyone in in society willingly makes in order to foster improvements and nourish the best and most perfect men who will improve it still more, these sacrifices must bring benefits to the whole of society, not just one category or people, one category of people or one class. It is a problem of right and of force. The proletariat must stay alert to prevent another abuse being added to the many it already suffers. Yeah. So you're leaving right now. I can stick around for a minute. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, he's basically just describing U.S. schools. We didn't already say that, though. No, not at all. We definitely did not have this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) No. All right. (laughs) The school system definitely does not overly 
force us into being good, productive workers. Like, literally, like, when they were designing that shit, like, the bell going off, it's supposed to, like, mimic a factory floor letting you know when your lunch break is and shit. It's fucking crazy. Go read Althusser for all of that. He literally talks about education and his role for getting you ready to work in the factory. I forgot where I learned my <laughs> shit. But Althusser, cool. I still get to read him, so might as well start now. Did he like murder his wife? Yeah, he did. <laughs> sweet, sweet. So anyway, uh, <laughs> the popular university, which is um, not universities that are popular, but rather ones that are open to the public. Like are the American state schools. Mm. I, <laughs> I would probably say more like the community colleges. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like the state schools are usually more prestigious, at least here in Michigan. Well, so there's that whole thing, but like the, the conception that we're working with is in this essay, which we also didn't talk about this in the recording that we lost. Um, okay, so here's we talked about state schools and in Europe, state schools are very prestigious and in the U.S., private schools are the very prestigious ones. And there's, of course, very prestigious state schools like ones in University of Michigan and... and uh, you got uh, Michigan Tech. Michigan Tech, you got Rutgers, you got a few others. But very generally speaking, the whole state university systems... And most community colleges are part of them, even mm-hmm. though they're treated separately. All of those were set up to make higher education accessible to the general public. Um, so when, when we're talking about popular education, and he's talking about popular universities, think of like, you know, your average state university, not the most prestigious one that's just kind of you know, you go there because it's cheaper than going to a private university and that kind of thing. Right. Okay. So, the popular university. Section 4. Chapter, chapter, I don't know. I have in front of me the program for the popular university. Uh, Universista Populare. I don't know. <laughs> Did I sound Italian? Anyway, for the first period, 1916 to 17, five courses, three devoted to natural sciences, one to Italian literature, one to philosophy, six lectures on various subjects. Only two have titles, giving some guarantee of seriousness. I sometimes wonder why it has not been possible in turn to develop a solid institution for the popularization of culture why the popular university has remained the poor thing it is and has been unable to win the public's attention, respect, and love, why it has not succeeded in forming a public of its own. Needs a football team. 
bring back the Coliseum, baby. And <laughs> the answer is not easy. I <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> or it is too easy. Yeah, exactly. There are, shut up and let the book read. Bam. Um, there are clearly problems with organization and with the criteria which inform the university. The best response should be to do better, to show concretely that it is possible to do better and to gather a public around a cultural heat source, provided it is alive and really gives off heat. In Turin, the popular university is a cold flame. It is, matter it is neither a university nor popular. Its directors are amateurs in matters of cultural organization. What causes them to act as a mild and insipid spirit of charity, not a live, a live and fecund desire to contribute to the spiritual raising of the multitude through teaching. As in vulgar, vulgar charitable institutions, they contribute food, parcels which fill the stomach, perhaps cause some indigestion, but then leave no trace, bring about no change in people's lives. The directors of the popular universities know that the institution they run has to cater for a specific category of people who have not been able to follow regular studies at school. And that is all. They are not, they are not bothered about how the, this category of people might drawn, might be drawn most effectively to the world of knowledge. They find a model in the existing cultural institutions. They copy it. They worsen it. They reason something like this. People who attend courses at the popular university are the same age and have the same general background as people who go to the state universities. So let us give them a surrogate of the latter. And then they ignore everything else. They do not consider the fact that the state universities are a natural point of arrival of the whole activity of previous work. They do not consider that when student arrives, when a student arrives at university, he has passed through the experiences of high school and has disciplined his spirit of research, has bolstered his amateurish impulsiveness with a method, methodical approach. In other words, he has been through a process of becoming. He has been made alert gradually and gently, falling into error and pulling himself up taking wrong turns and getting back on course. These directors do not understand that bits of knowledge plucked out from all their previous activity of individual research are nothing other than dogmas, absolute truths. They do not understand the popular university as they run it. They do not understand the popular university as they run it is reduced to a form of theological teaching, a new version of the Jesuit schools, where knowledge is presented as something definitive, self-evident, and unquestionable. Not even the universities are like this. There is, some, there is now a common conviction that a truth is fecund only when one has made an effort to master it. That is... It does not exist in and for itself, but it has been a conquest of the spirit 
and that each individual must reproduce in himself that state of anxiety which the scholar passed through before arriving at it. This is why the truly magisterial teachers give great importance in their teaching to the history of their subject, taking one's audience through a series of attempts, efforts, and successes through which men had to pass in order to attain the present state of knowledge, attained the present state of knowledge has far more educational value than a schematic exposition of the knowledge itself. It forms the scholar. It gives his mind the elasticity of methodical doubt, which makes an amateur into a serious person, which purifies curiosity, parentheses, in the popular sense of the word, in parentheses, and turns it into a healthy and fecund stimulus towards ever-increasing and more perfect knowledge. The author of all... Um, <clears throat> sorry. The author of these notes speaks partly out of personal experience. The courses he remembers most vividly from when he started at university were those where the lecturer made him feel the active effort of research over the centuries to bring the research method to perfection. In the natural sciences, for instance, we were shown all the effort it costs to liberate the human spirit from prejudices and a priori religious and philosophical notions in order to arrive at the conclusion that sources of water originate from atmospheric precipitations and not from the sea. In phil 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 philology, philo philology i don't know what was it again it was like, like it was study like, of language like a subsection of linguistics yeah we saw how the historical method was arrived at through the trials and errors of traditional empiricism and how for example the criteria and convictions that guided francesco de santis uh de santis no no sorry but it's a bad joke uh, in writing his hands. <laughs> in writing his history of Italian literature were nothing other than truths which had emerged through tiring research, truths which liberated the spirit from the sentimental and rhetorical dross that had polluted the study of literature in the past, and so on for other subjects. This was the most living part of studying, the spirit of recreation, which enabled encyclopedic items of information to be assimilated and fused them into a flame burning with new individual life. Teaching done in this way becomes an act of liberation. It has the fascination of all vital things and is particularly to demonstrate its effectiveness in the popular universities whose audiences lack precisely that intellectual preparation one needs in order to arrange the individual item, items of one's studies into one organized whole. For them, particularly, what is most effective and interesting in the history of research, the history of this immense epic of human spirit, which slowly, patiently, patiently and tenaciously takes possession of truth, conquers truth. How from error one arrives at scientific truth. This is the road that everyone must follow. 
To show it has been followed by others is the lesson that produces the best results. And it is besides a lesson in modesty. Wait, and it, and it is besides a lesson in modesty, which avoids the formation of those irritating know-it-alls who believe they have plumbed the depths of the universe when their memories are fortunate enough to pigeonhole a few dates and some random bits of knowledge. But the popular university, like that of Turin, prefer to run useless and unwieldy courses on Italian soul and the art of literature in recent generations, or give lectures on the European conf conf conflagration as judged by Vico, <laughs> where more care is taken to impress than teach effectively, and the pretentious little lecturer outstrips sorry pretentious little lecturer outstrips the efforts of the modest teacher who at least knows he is talking to an educated people unsigned Avante 29th of December 1916 well this is like right before the end of World War One, right uh World War One and no, this was like was it? World War One and this was like a year before the end of World War One. Oh, I get not right before, but I mean like right before. A year's not that far off, right? I mean World War One. The uh, was a pretty long time. Well, I know, but like that's what I mean. Like a year isn't that far off. Yeah, that's true. Like we were in Afghanistan for like how long? Twenty one years? Twenty two? Twenty three? That's crazy. <laughs> My entire life. Anyway, are you leaving now? Or well, you want to? I can do this next paragraph. Okay, yeah, let's do that. And, and then, then we can wrap up the episode. Unless you want to... Well, I could just do like a long plug session for the GoFundMe without you. Uh, the problem is that the... Uh, what do you call it? I can't actually officially leave. No, not yet. We'll just... I'll remove no, no, you. Like, from I can't leave the studio... Like yeah, I'll remove you from the recording. Oh, you can do that? I, yeah, I can just click remove, and then you'll still be in the room. Oh. Please delete this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep this in. This is very important for the uh, for the recording. Okay, so I'll just read this, this, uh, this section. Chapter 5, Illiteracy. Why are there still so many illiterate people in Italy? Because in Italy, there are too many people who restrict their lives to their village and their family. They do not feel a need to learn the Italian language because dialect will do for their local family and family life. Because all their life and relationships is filled up with conversations and dialect. Literacy is not a need and it therefore becomes a torment something imposed by the wielders of power. 
in order for it to become a need, the general life will have, would have to acquire a greater fervor. It would have to draw in an ever-increasing number of citizens and therefore make the sense of need arise spontaneously out of the necessity for writing and writing out of the necessity for reading and writing and for the Italian language. Socialist propaganda has done more towards literacy than all the laws on compulsory schooling. The law is an, in, the law is an imposition. It can oblige you to do to go to school, but it cannot oblige you to learn once you have learned not to forget or once you have learned not to forget. Socially, I have forgotten a lot of what I have learned. <laughs> Socialist propaganda directly arouses a sharp sense of not being just an individual within a little circle of immediate interests, parentheses, the community and the family, and parentheses, but a citizen of a wider world with whose other citizens one needs to exchange ideas, hopes, and sufferings. Culture literacy, culture literacy has thus acquired a purpose, and for as long as this purpose remains alive in people's consciousness, consciousness is love of knowledge will be a compelling force. In a sacrosanct truth of which the socialists can be proud, illiteracy will disappear completely only when socialism has made it disappear. Because socialism is the only ideal which can make citizens in the best and fullest sense of the word out of all the Italians who are present, who are at present, live exclusively on their little, little personal interests. Humans are born only to consume the fruits of the earth. The end of chapter five. I guess I disagree with that we only exist or born to consume the fruits of the earth, but I guess that's how they act currently is what he's saying. I think that's also just a a broad statement and not like we should eat the earth kind of statement. No, right, right. It's just, I don't know. That kind of thinking gets people going into deforestation shit. Yeah. I, I mean, I would think based on the time period of like, immediately during the Russian Revolution kind of stuff, it's like we will harvest what we make and all that kind of shit. Right. And less like deforest the world and and consume all of its <laughs> products. Look, we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I like always say, you know, I don't think people realized that they were going to poison the rain. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty fucked right now. I think they thought revolution would happen before this point. I, I think if you told someone that like the Soviet Union would collapse and we would be like, if you told Gramsci like a hundred years from now the Soviet Union would collapse 
and like, silly and starting to be on fire. Oh yeah, that's right. like what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Fucking get out of here, John. John the Revelator. Yeah, like. <laughs> Call you some fucking Bible kook. Okay. What did the. They break the seventh seal? Oh, I don't know. Fucking. <laughs> it's been a while since I read Revelation. Anyway. So. Everybody say goodbye to Prez. You're going to be. Goodbye, Prez. For a half hour pitch. Like, oh, fuck me. No, no. Probably shorter than that. But. That's what we're going to do. So. Goodbye. Bye, Prez. And it's going to be just me. I don't think I'm going to read anything. Um, Since I'm the only person here, we're going to wrap it up, but do it for a long time. Um, First off, if you want to get a hold of the show, uh, at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter, best way to do it. (laughs) <laughs> my stuff keeps getting banned you see uh, <laughs> uh, but you can follow me at, at decolonial marks um, I'm just making fun of midwestern marks uh, <laughs> that's all that is um, or uh, at marksy marks 2 for prez and then uh, we have the emails, which marksmadnesspod at gmail.com or chunkaluta1973 at gmail.com or like my personal sort of work email is bandsofturtleisland at gmail.com. Um, there's a Patreon I highly recommend you subscribe to for large photo dumps that we'll be doing uh, behind the scenes footage, early releases of audio uh, as we set up public archives and stuff like that. Um, Basically you just get things first. Um, I don't really believe in putting information behind a paywall, just giving you the information quicker than a full presentation, I guess, of the information. Um, And even then, probably not even all of it, because I just don't have the time, nor do I think Patreon, nor do I think Patreon will allow me to do the formatting necessary for convenient, um, what's it called? Convenient presentation. Um, at any rate, uh, what was I saying? Uh, oh yeah. So the Patreon, uh, the way we're doing it is right now, $500 is all that's needed to keep my family and I afloat, but Inflation's rising, and we're about to have another kid. So I would like to ask people donate more, and we try to hit like eight hundred. Um, the thing is, is we also want to transcribe episodes, not only of this, but everybody else's podcasts in the network. Uh, 
you know, including um, the decolonized Buffalo stuff and also see about um, re-uploading that stuff, remastering at least the important episodes, whatever those are. Um, and then like doing some sort of video presentation alongside it in order to, uh, well, clip for, you know, TikTok and shit. But more importantly, for a YouTube presentation or something like that, where I don't know, I just feel like YouTube is more accessible. Um, let's see. Uh, anyway, uh, in order for that, we have a friend in Bulgaria that um, we just trust a lot, and they're in Bulgaria, so it wouldn't matter if they were a fan, theoretically, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know. We try to do most things in person. Um, but, yeah, all they need to survive a month is $350 USD. And well, we already at like a hundred something above the five hundred initially. So the first three hundred and fifty after that, I'd like to make sure goes to them to keep them alive. And then once we hit like twelve hundred, everything after twelve hundred from this point on would go strictly to organizing. Um. Other than that, we have the GoFundMe which is the more important thing to donate to right now. Um, what we're doing is uh, we're raising $30,000 uh, for several things. Um, we already raised $10,000 and we're able to secure uh, almost 200, maybe this is probably over 200 acres of land um, on my reservation. Uh, which what we plan to do with it. Oh, well, first off, what's already being done with it is it's, it's sort of like a seed of traditional power that's continued forward that acts as a, a dual power system to the uh, Indian Reorganization Act governments, which are um, like... BIA written constitution governments that we were forced to adopt in order to um, negotiate with um, local whites, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and then the federal government as their own entities. And then we had to relay everybody's information to one another. They didn't want to talk to each other. Um, and we had to adopt these dumbass constitutions that are shit. And so, uh, you, though in these constitutions, they allow for us to rewrite them. Right. Uh, there's just a dumb amount of votes we need, whatever. Um, theoretically you could do that and then stress the contradictions that come along with, um, stopping the expression of sovereignty, right? Um, so we're also going to be developing uh, we'll be developing um, 
Buffalo Prairie on the land. There's already 40 acres of self-seeding hemp. Um, there's a, a herd of uh, wild horses. There's a, a forest, basically, for firewood or, you know, various other things, whatever. Um, a lot of hills. There's a, so, I don't know, there's a lot of potential. Clearly, there's a creek that runs through it. Um, there's already three homes on it. Um, we're about to bring a new one and then build a new one. So the other ones are pretty much useless, but theoretically you could like Frankenstein them together, right? Make another home. I don't know. There's a bunch of opportunity either way. Um, and then we're also trying to get a wheelchair for somebody, which is just, that'd be cool to be able to do for them. Um, I just really hope we can do that before they're on the verge of houselessness too. So it's just real sad time all around. Um, but we also want to bring out wood and stuff. Uh, probably won't be able to unless we actually do hit all goals. Right. But uh, what we would do is we'd get an SUV and then a trailer and then we wouldn't have to ever rent again. And we'd save thousands of dollars and only have to pay gas and then wood costs. So it's like a no brainer to us. But, you know, we're also having a kid, so it'd just be very helpful. Um, you know, if you want to make a private donation, not through GoFundMe, you can do that too. But uh, that's at Zicato's Tin Can on Cash App or at Zicato on Venmo. Um, other than that, you know, short episode. Sorry, we... Uh, we, it was 50 minutes. <laughs> and I fucked up. So next time, we won't. Hopefully. So thank you all for listening. And hope to see you next time. Bullshit.